Hello again, this is Noah and John. We are from Urban Digs. We are talking Manhattan. We are at Compass. We're back at Compass. We're back found, at Compass. We're circling. We we're downtown. We've got the man, the myth, the legend, Tony Sargent. Tony Sargent. It's a Thanks lot of man, myth, legends. That's we right. got Tony he, Sargent here. He speaks five languages. Yes. And today it's going to be Norwegian. Cool. So. And, and I'm no, good with that. Now, be now I'm on the spot, obviously. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> I could barely speak English. Yeah, that's true. I try. I try. <laughs> I actually used to speak with an English accent until I was in school in Norway and went to a school with a lot of Southerners, so I lost my accent there. Oh, there I you go. You. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you for inviting um, me. A lot of agents listen to this, so consumers too, but this is mostly professional agents, and they're mm -hmm. curious about what's going on in this market. So I want to extract all those insights in your brain right. and uh, get right to it. Uh, what's going on out there? So, I mean, as I predicted or late last year is I, what I'm seeing out there, there's actually a lot more contract activity happening mm -hmm. in all segments of the market, especially under 2 million. Um, basically, if something is priced correctly, there, like there was a studio in my building that was underpriced and they were getting 30 or 40 people at open houses, which we haven't seen right. for years. So, and there's a contract out on that. And if you're in Manhattan, the, the bottom line is this, you've got to price correctly because there's, a, regardless of what segment are, if you're in the million and under, if you're in the 2 million and under, you still have to price correctly because there's a lot of inventory out there and right. prices have come down. I think what you're seeing is that like in 2009, there's been enough reports out there and then in the press now, we had the July reports, we had the December reports that say prices have come down. And as you've had prices coming down, you've had rents going up. Yeah. Right. So as that's happening, you're starting to see a lot of people, I'm starting to see a lot of people, um, a lot more people at my open houses. Now, it really depends just from a standpoint of getting, I think the first thing is you have to set expectations properly. Yeah, um, so every, important. Every seller I meet, I'm literally saying, and this is something I did in yeah. 2010, 2011, 2009, was if if we look at pricing, let's say it's 600 or 700,000, or we're looking at 2 million, I will throw out a number in the pitch to say, what would you do if you got an offer of, a hundred thousand less or hundred and fifty thousand okay. less. So you're sort right. of you're sort of like game plan. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm game planning and also like pre qualifying my sellers. But I think right. it's also important. I'm I'm looking at lists I'm looking at sales today that were if you look in Chelsea for example, there were fifty three, fifty six sales last year. Right. In all of Chelsea, three million plus, three million mm -hmm. two and a half to four and a half million, two two three and four bedrooms, right? There were properties that are now sold at 3.9 that are selling for less than they were bought in 2016. Right. So if you are a seller and if you're a broker and you're taking on an overpriced listing, you're pretty much putting yourself out of business as well as you're disappointing that seller. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, a lot of the inventory has been going up. I mean, as the bid's been going down and the pending sales been going down, that inventory has been kind of piling high. And people kind of describe this market as an inventory problem market. It, it's an inventory problem because you have a climbing of inventory of resale inventory, but you have such an oversupply of new development inventory mm -hmm. as well. And what's been happening is if you look in this area, for example, 10 years ago, if you wanted a three bedroom, what did you have to do? You had to buy one. Yeah. Today you have so many luxury three bedrooms that were built that can't yeah. be, that aren't yeah. being sold, they're being rented. Yeah. So if you want to send your kid to Avenues or you want to, you know, you can actually rent a really nice brand new development as opposed to buying something. And that's right. part of the that's part of the issue for the resale market. Mm -hmm. The other thing, the other big thing is there's a demographic shift. Yeah. Ten years ago we were wired to our desk, we were wired to, we were barely just getting onto our phones. Today people are not wired. Yeah. So as a buyer, you can go most people there's a lot of people going to Brooklyn. Yeah. That yeah. was not an option ten years ago. It was right. an option, but it was the alternative option. Now it's a primary option. Interesting. You know, people are actually that would have been in the downtown area considering Brooklyn or even 
you know, and I'm seeing people come back from Brooklyn as well on some level, but your trains are better, your inventory is better, there's neighborhoods, you've got, you know, yeah. you've got an ecosystem out there versus you're just getting an apartment. Right, very interesting. You know, I just want to touch back to what you were saying before. Most of the activity that you're seeing is in the, in the two million and under sector is what you mentioned. And I'm looking at pending sales and I broke it down by price point here. So I'm looking at a chart here in Urban Digs. Um, 600K to a million pending sales is up 25% mm-hmm. year over year. 1 million to 2 million pending sales of 21.6% year over year. Um, and I believe if I looked at Manhattan wide, I believe it's 17% is what the average is. So, yeah. so those two sectors are definitely outperforming. So my question is um, above those sectors, right? what do you see going on in the, in the two to 5 million range? I mean, do, if you're lucky enough to do business in super large. So my bread and butter has always been two to 6 million. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and it's, what I see, what I see out there is that, especially like, for example, if you're looking at stuff that was traditionally three and a half, that stuff, like most of the activity is under three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're under three million, like there's properties that were priced at four point two that are selling at two nine five or three point two. Right. Some big um, discounts. So there's some big discounts out there. So it's interesting. Like I, I, you know, I've been bringing on some listings or meeting with sellers, and like I've tracked, for example, in the Flatiron area where there were 28 listings that I showed a property last a property owner last year. Well, 20, 60% of those properties that were on the market last May mm-hmm. that were priced between three and four and a half million, yep. or five, actually three and six million, 60% of them did not sell. Right. Okay. Well, that's an interesting point because one of the things that we've heard from other agents, which is that, yes, there may be a lot of inventory, quote unquote, on the market, but a lot of it's just not good inventory. And so well, you go out and you see it, and the reason it's not moving is because when the fresh inventory comes on, that's what's moving because that's the good inventory. That's part of the story. Part of the story is there's a lot of inventory. Mm-hmm. So people say, well, and, and, and actually when you look in terms of sheer numbers, there isn't a lot of inventory. There's 30 listings, or yeah. there's 50 listings, right. which doesn't seem like a lot. The most important part that I always look at is how many contracts are getting signed per month. Right. You need to look at the contract signing because you can have 30 listings, but if you're getting one contract signed a month, and if you look at some of the areas, you're getting one to one and a half contracts, maybe two contracts right. signed a month. That's that's a 15 month supply. Yeah. Your average, your, your balanced market, and that means you're in a seller's market. Right. You know, so I mean, I, you, so if you understand that data, if you're working yeah. with buyers, and right now, if I, to me, I'm talking to all my buyers, I'm talking to all my, my financial advisors, and saying, if you have deep pocket buyers, now is a good time to get in. Yeah. Because there is the negotiability. There's, right. I'm seeing on the higher end of the market, I'm seeing 17% discounts. Okay. So that, this is good stuff now. This is gold. All right. I want to keep this rolling. On the higher okay. end of the market, you're seeing 17 On average, you can wow. see, you know, if you're looking at 10 million plus, you're seeing right. 17% on average. This is from peak to trough kind of thing? No, like like literally from where I'm like so original one, ask to where that's So one of the numbers, Okay, listing yeah. discount. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So listing discount. So okay, one of the gotcha. things I look at is where did things start and yeah. where did things actually trade, mm-hmm. right? And what was the last ask? Right. And so you get some people that are masking, you know, while you're waiting for contracts to get closed, you see some stuff sitting at a reasonable number, but then it closes 500,000 below. Right. I just did a deal with, so I talked to a seller in the downtown area. They want a price in the three, five range. I was able to tell them that, listen, in your price point, in your sub-market, between three and three and a half, mar- three, and a, three and three and a half, yeah. there was literally one contract signed a month. So if you get out there and think you're gonna sell, and there's 30 other properties, right. 
there's no one out there. So right. you can price too high and sit and just wait. And so what happened is then I got a buyer in that price point, looked at a property that had started at close to four million mm -hmm. five months earlier, was now on its second broker, was priced in the three and a half range, and we were able to negotiate $250,000 off that on a resale. Right, um, management of expectations. First, and it's the first time that I was encouraging a buyer to make a really low offer because I knew there's no buyers on that market in that moment of time. Awesome. And you can't just assume it's for the rest of time. Right. But right. this is wonderful because you can use the same data set for both the sell side and the buy side. Right. It's really a matter of so, how you position same sector, And yeah. I was able to say to my seller, if you want to sell, your price yeah. should be in the three to three and a half. But the reality is you're going to sit there for seven months. Right. And if you want to go faster, you need to get under three because 24% right. of all the, you know, there were 24 sales under three in that same segment. Yeah. And there were seven otherwise. Right. Well, so not only are you going to be on the market for seven months, but you're going to trade at the same right. price more or less. Right. And I think the big thing I always think is I'm, I come from a data background, but I'm also a visual person. So there's, you know, as a broker in this market, if you're working with a seller, you have to have the visual side. You have right. people don't want to spend the money, but you have to convince them to spend the money because right now everybody stages. So right. if you don't stage, you're at a disadvantage. Right. And then from a number side, you have to stay on top of what's happening. You can't just put it on the market and wait. I've got clients who sometimes say, well, I lowered my price. Well, we had that conversation six months ago or eight months ago right. before we listed. Mm -hmm. Where's the market today? It's a moving target, right? As you know. So, so you said around seventeen percent in the higher end. What? How would that look in the in the lower price points? That negotiability. So, I look at all these price points. Every price point I look at. Right. Um, you can take somewhere like Midtown East, for example. Midtown East, one bedroom market. I was talking to a seller a few weeks ago. She wanted the price in the seven hundred plus range. Yeah. When I looked at one bedrooms in that neighborhood. Some one bedrooms took a year to sell, and they were started at 750, ended up at 625. Mm -hmm. Right. Some started at six, 700, ended up at 595. Right. Are you talking like Sutton, or is this more like Turtle Bay, Kitts Bay, that sort of? Not even Sutton. I would yeah. say the 40s. Not, like it's, in the 40s. Issues, in the yeah. 40s. Like right. okay. so, 40. Let's say 47th up to 55th. Okay. Um, what I see is that you're looking at probably on average 5% mm -hmm. discount okay. off the last asking price. And right. then you're looking between 5 and 20% mm -hmm. in terms of discounts. If you go into the higher numbers, if you're in the 2 to 6, you will see prices oh. for sellers that are serious that will have started at 4.2 and will end up as an asking at 3.3. From last asking price? From from the last from the original asking from the original asking yeah okay, gotcha. so five percent I would say you can negotiate five percent off right interesting yeah um, the sellers and yeah. just sorry just from a seller standpoint yeah. you're going to come up as a broker with but I don't want to price low because if I price low then I'm going to get low offers right 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 what I have seen over and it doesn't matter what price point when you price at market you will get broke buyers offering at market let's talk about that for a second so so you go into a pitch yeah. and let's let's go to a little agent productivity here okay what does your pitch look like like when you go on a pitch um, I belly dance yeah, besides that I right, knew besides, it. besides I knew the presentation I know there had to be some secret it there it seems to be not working as well these days <laughs> and, and lucky for our audience you're going to do that at the end of this podcast mm -hmm. great no. thank you Tony <laughs> All right, everyone's going to be unsubscribed it's coming really soon <laughs> Um, great. I used to have a good audience, and then Tony <laughs> did the belly dance thing, right. and I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but you walk into a cellar, and 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 obviously you got your pitch on yourself, and you mm -hmm. got your. But like, what? How do you how do you approach the the pricing aspect? How do you run your comps and have that conversation? And is there anything kind of that you could outside of comps, like what you do that you've learned is a helpful technique to maybe win the listing? Okay. So the first thing is, and it's really easy to go in and just talk. So the first thing I've done is learn how to listen. Okay, and learn tip. how to sit 
in quiet and be uncomfortable with that yeah and try to get comfortable with that because it's really easy for us as brokers to go in and try to teach right and right now we don't need to teach as much because they're already they already know what the numbers are before we walk in the door if they if they're it happened 80 percent of the people have already been looking online they've already been yeah. looking at all these portals they've seen the numbers so the first thing First of all, I have an agenda for our meeting, and that way it allows me to stay in control of the conversation. So it, I sort of like it's kind of a marketing plan, but I walk through. You know, we all have our biz, our you know, our company packages that you mm -hmm. personalize. So personalize your package. But if they're meeting with other brokers, which they should be and they will be, and you have to, you have to assume, assume they are. You have to assume yeah. they are, and ask who the brokers are. They may or may not tell you, but at least you know your competition. You can have a conversation and understand where you are in relation to that person, mm -hmm. and sell yourself differently than they might sell themselves. But the first thing is have an agenda because if you don't have an agenda for your meeting, you're gonna walk in and your meeting is gonna become about, well, tell me what you wanna do. And then they're gonna show you this and you're gonna end up in a three hour conversation that leads nowhere. Right. So the first thing is I go in with the intention of trying to get the listing signed when I meet with them. Right. If I have that intention, my conversation is very different with then, oh yeah, thank you for having me. Right. Yeah, let like, me know. Yeah. Be an advisor. That's my approach is I want to find, tell me about your life. Tell me why you're selling. Tell me how long you want to be, when do you want to be out of this place and why? And what is the That's reason? That's a great way. Sorry. And then what is the reason you do, what, what would make you not sell this place? Interesting. The price. Because if we don't know that, we can go take, especially in this market, um, I said to a client the other day, who have already signed the listing, but they were starting to be unrealistic about what we, they, mm -hmm. they were going back on what they'd agreed to do in terms of price yeah. and what they'd agreed to do in terms of staging. Right. And then they said, we want to raise the price 10% or 15%. And I said, you're welcome to do that. But as a business person running a real estate business, unfortunately, I can no longer work with you if that's what you plan to do. Right. You have to be willing to walk away right now from sellers who aren't realistic. A lot of brokers are not willing to walk away. They kind of want to get that listing and, and start to get some activity and some action, you know. So I understand how sellers may get a broker and their broker's telling them a little bit about what they want to hear, mm -hmm. um, less what the data and the comps right. are showing. Right. But, which is perfect because you, you know, it's this is the thing. It's all about setting expectations. Yeah. If you're going in, understand if you're the first broker or the last broker. Traditionally, you want to be the last broker because they've heard from everyone else. Right. Right. So you can come in and you can also ask them. Don't yeah. be afraid. Ask them what is it? What did someone else tell you? But before they even tell you, ten years ago, I would walk into a broker into a seller's listing and I would say, "Listen, here's the. I'm going to talk about the numbers, but free, before we start." I'm going to suggest that probably you've received a range of numbers from other brokers ranging from this number to this number. And I would just, I'm just curious. So I'm going to be somewhere in that, but you're here. Let me explain to you why different numbers work mm -hmm. awesome. and how that may affect your plan. Okay. And the question I have for you is what is your plan and what is your time frame? Because the other reason se sellers agents are willing to take on listings at high prices even in this market is because a lot of people are hurting for business right. and the number one thing that you get when you get a listing if it's priced reasonably well is you're going to get you're going to get leads right and you can run all the open houses and so I, I ask that question do you as a seller realize that an open house every weekend doesn't necessarily sell your property if it's overpriced it sells someone else's property right because that broker can pick up a listing, a lead, and go sell them three other properties. So you're on the market for six months. My position is I want to sell your property right. at the best price the market will afford. So, so I guess so you do know you're sharing these nuggets of wisdom with yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah, but that's okay though because you know what? He executes it. And I know. He's just it's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, to me, it's like 
I've, I've sat in that, listen, we've all been in that place where our business isn't great. I've had great years and I've had mm-hmm. horrible years, right? And to me, it's like what I've learned is every time I get into that place of scarcity and I get, you know, you get triggered by these markets and you think I'm, yeah. it's, you're, we're like actors a little bit. We think I'll never sell another property again. And the, as soon as we go into that fear-based thinking, we can't sell anything, right? right. It's like we just, so to me, it's about everybody's going to come in and you know what your personality and my personality are going to fit or they're not going to fit and there's someone for everybody you know and if i keep bringing myself back to that place of i can't worry about someone taking my secret sauce because each of us have a personality and we're also people that we're going to trust or not trust someone so you can have all the right i've had i was sitting in a pitch two weeks ago and a woman said the the broker who came in did all the right things but she was talking so fast and so on top of me, that's not someone I want to work yeah. with. Wow. Right? So it's a personality. You have to be in touch with who you're, you know, I'm also starting to say, you know what? Maybe I don't want to work with that client because that's going to be my next six months right. of time. Right. And if that's the energy field I'm walking into, right. what's that going to do about my whole business? So it's interesting. So you go in, you have the agenda, you're, mm-hmm. you're listening, you understand their plan, you kind of present your numbers, and, but it's, it's more about you figuring out who they are as a client as much as it is for them to get a sense of you. Uh, and Absolutely. your personality. And it's it's not just about, here's, you know, it's like, you have to be sort of like a doctor in a way. Like you mm-hmm. have to go in and you have to like understand what their needs are. You have to also understand what the reality of the situation is. You got to probe a little bit. You got to probe. And you got to probe, like be, ask questions. Yeah. Don't tell. Not obtrusive probing. Right. Yeah. No, 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 no. Okay, no, 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 no,
the producers in us will get on Instagram, we'll do all the things we need to do for marketing and forget to actually pick up the phone and yeah. call someone. So that's interesting. And 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 we felt, when, when John and I were transactional and buy side, and we were building out this Urban Digs platform, um, we only work with buyers. Right. And we would have like 15, 20 buyers at any given time. And of those buyers, I would say five to eight were active mm-hmm. at that time. Another five to eight were like, yeah, I kind of need another three to six months. And then another five to eight were just kind of like, I'm looking to buy next year. Right. And I'm just letting you know in ahead, ahead of time. So when you look at your clients right now, and you look at them from ABC kind of um, categories of, of timeliness, have, have they shifted their minds? Have you had, for example, have you had a longer term C client or a B client say, you know what, I think now's the time to buy, I'm gonna actually step up my, expedite my transaction a little bit and step up, or you're not really noticing that kind uh, of thing yet. Are you asking that question from a standpoint of because of the market or because of I'm the I'm asking that because every colleague that I talk to, and I'm starting to um, hear, I'm starting to see it in the data, it's a little too soon to see if it's a trend or not, is telling me that for the longest time, they're seeing a little bit of an urgency mm-hmm. out there. They're seeing more packed open houses, yep. and this is how it starts, yep. right? I mean, because we've been down, we've been hit, and we've been saying that this is the time for buyers to use their leverage as, as most as they can, you know, to get the best deals. And it starts by all of the good properties getting higher traffic and an urgency. Right. And then all of a sudden people start worrying they're gonna lose on this property. And once they start losing on one property, then the next property, they don't wanna lose on that property. And it kind of starts this ball um, that feeds on itself. Right. And for the first time in a while, I'm hearing from colleagues that this is happening. Yeah. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing it on your sell side? Are you seeing it on your buy side? This is what I'm curious about. I'm seeing it on, I see it more on the buy side when I'm out with buyers. Mm-hmm. Um, areas like Brooklyn, even last year, yeah. flying off the shelf. You're in a multiple bid situation usually right off the bat. Manhattan, wow. a lot less so. So it depends on, again, what price point you're in. Mm-hmm. If you're in the if you're in the two and a half, if you're in the three and a half to five million in Manhattan, mm-hmm. not so much. Are we getting more people and more traffic? Yes. But if you're getting, if you're in the two million and under, mm-hmm. you're and it's priced correctly, you're gonna be there. But I definitely see, like, there in my building that I live in the West Village, there were three open houses two weeks ago. I hadn't seen forty people in the lobby in two or three years. That's that's the kind so, of stuff I'm hearing. Yes. And I'm curious, is it it's anecdotal and, and people have to understand that what we're, what we're reporting on is in the field, streets yeah. level, as raw as you can get, decipher whether you want to agree with it or not. It takes at least, let's say you have an accepted offer, you have a multiple offer situation, it takes at least a, a week or two to get that contract mm-hmm. executed, fully dual diligence. And then the broker is going to go update it in the system. So there's a couple of week lag between everything we're saying and seeing those contracts signed, right. two to three weeks minimum. Sometimes it gets more complicated. And the other know. piece there is that the property has to be right. People yeah. are still, people are much more, if something's priced, if overpriced compared to something, they, they have an urgency, but there's also a hesitancy that's still out there. So it's yeah. not at the level, like I think if you look at somewhere like Park Slope, or you look at somewhere like Cobble Hill, where there's been activity, or Williamsburg, where there's been an, a surge in activity in the last year, you will see that where people are chasing each other down the road. Right. But I think in the Manhattan market, you still have to have something of quality, and it has to be priced correctly. Right. Because if not, as much as people want to make a move, they're still afraid of making the move, right. and they've still got the rental option. Well, thank you for bringing me down to earth. I felt like I was floating away a little bit for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was like 2013, 14 all over again. No, it's not. It's not. It's no. Not. Well, and it's interesting when you think about it because the mortgage rates are the best they've been in yeah. a long time. Right? Stock market. The stock market's economy. at 29,000 or whatever it is versus 20,000. You know, four years ago. Yeah. So that's the that's the kind of thing that's like, well, where's all this money going? Yeah. And I think part of this is also, again, I think we're looking at a complete demographic shift that people aren't looking at when they're looking at contracts. Right. What are people, what are today's buyers looking for? So if you're 30 years old today, right. 12, what was, 2008 was 11 years ago. If you're 30, you were 19. Right. You were in college. 
what happened to your parents in that moment of time? Did they lose their house? Right. Did they get foreclosed on? If you did, if that was your experience as, that a, affected a, you as a buyer, that affected you as a buyer. Yeah. People are saying, why aren't people just rushing Your risk to tolerance buy? goes straight down That's if they're experiencing right. it. Yeah, and we talked about it at the time when it was happening, but, but now we're 10 years later. We're 10 years later, and you so know. it's funny. I walk in and sellers will be like, well, I just renovated a few years ago. We renovated 20 years ago. Yeah. 20 years ago to the person walking in the door that's 38 to 30, you know, that was they were 12 years old. Your place looked like grandma's place. Yeah. This is great. We're running out of time. We have, to, we have to do final thoughts. Really, final thoughts. We're going to have to wrap this up. So, so okay. buyers out there, I kind of got to summarize what you just said for buyers. Buyers, there's um, for buyers, it's an awesome market. Honestly, it's an awesome market. There hasn't been this numbers for certain price points are look. You can you can say your prices are from 2008 to 2013. That's where most prices are today. Yeah. Compared to if you were looking in 13, 14, 15. Mm -hmm. So if you're a buyer and you're looking to stay in New York, I would get out there and look for something and buy something because rents are going one way and that's up. Right. Right. There's there there, there isn't an oversupply of rental market stuff. And if if commissions come down, you're going to see those numbers go up anyway. Way. Right. Um, from a seller standpoint, if you're a broker looking at sellers, A, you're not alone. The seller's not alone. Yeah. Make sure the seller feels that they're in context. Give context. They, they always feel like they're alone, mm -hmm. as do brokers. So talk to your colleagues. Find out how they're doing. If right. someone sold something, what did they do to get it sold? Get right. that idea and share it. Right. Um, if you're a listing broker, share it with other people what's going on so, so that you're not alone. Because I think in this market, it's about being a team, whether it's with someone who's on your team or someone in your office or even co-brokers. Right. Um, and that's what I would say. And final for agents, especially new agents out there. I would say for new agents out there, get out there and get out there and hustle, get out there and get as much experience. And that means running open houses, try to pick up new leads. Don't assume that you've been in the business for a year and therefore you know everything there is. I right. made the mistake three years in thinking I knew everything and 20 so years in, I still feel like I'm new. So yeah. get on a team. Um, I think it's much more important. I've always avoided teams. I've had teams at times, but I think in this moment in time, having a team is really important. So if you're a new agent, put your ego aside, get on a team and learn from someone who's been doing it well and has a lot of throughput because you're going to learn all the tricks of the trade. You're not awesome. going to need to spend five years doing that. Awesome. And then you can branch out and do your own business. That's exactly. Right. When you're ready. Awesome. This is great. This is Noah and John. We're with Tony Sargent. We're at Compass. We're at Talk in Manhattan. And we're from Urban Digs. And we'll catch you next time.